Good afternoon, everybody. It is Thursday in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My name is Adam Bittner, digital sports producer for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, back for our weekly conversation with Paul Zeiss about a range of uh, Pittsburgh sports topics. Uh, Paul, how are you? I'm doing well, Adam. How are you doing? I'm hanging in there, um, just just uh, get, getting through the week here. So I wanted to start with these rumors about uh, Chase Young. They've been bouncing around the Internet that the Steelers may be interested in trading for the former second overall pick of the Washington Commanders. Um, a lot of people on Twitter have kind of taken those rumors and run with them as if, as if a move is in, imminent. R. Ray Fittipaldo was asked about that in his postgazette.com chat on Tuesday, and he said that he considered those rumors to be nonsense and that he didn't know where Chase Young would fit in this defense. So, Paul, my question for you is, where do you fall on, on these rumors? And A, how seriously are you taking them? And B, um, you know, if not, why not? Well, I mean, I agree a little bit with Ray. I don't know where he fits. And to me, it, it seems to me like it's one of these things where he's a guy that uh, has some pedigree, was really, really good, and uh, uh, was drafted high, obviously. I, you know, we saw the famous clip with, Mike Tomlin, when they played, uh, the, the, I guess they were the Redskins at the time or the Commanders or the team that is called Washington team, whatever they were at the time when the Steelers played them. And you saw that uh, NFL Films clip where Mike Tomlin said something to the effect of, I don't ever want to have to, uh, I don't ever want to have to be bad enough to be able to draft a guy like you. Uh, in other words, you know, it was a compliment basically saying you're so good. You're really good, and you're a superstar, and uh, we would never hopefully be in a position to draft you because we'll never uh, lose enough to be in the top five. Um, again, Chase Young, to me, seems to be like a guy who a lot a lot of people are a lot more enamored with his pedigree than what he's actually been, number one. And number two, I just don't see where he fits with the Steelers. I mean, I, I, obviously you can always use good uh, a good player, but I don't know. I mean, if you're going to tell me they're going to, you know, draft, you know, they're going to trade like a sixth round pick for him or a seventh round pick, okay. I mean, he becomes a luxury item. Uh, but at the end of the day, I don't know that they should spend a lot of draft capital trying to get him. And I, I feel like, to me, I still have to figure out, or I still have to see someone explain exactly where he fits before I get all that excited about it. So I have really paid no attention to the, the, those rumors. From the standpoint of, I just don't think it makes sense. It doesn't fit usually what the Steelers do. It doesn't fit what they need on their defense, really, in, in many ways. Uh, it seems like it's one of those internet rumors that has just taken off uh, and is a lot more interesting to talk about than actually will happen. Paul, I think one of the – if I was going to make the argument, and I'm not necessarily making this argument myself, but if, if I was going to make it, I think one of the arguments would be Hey, Cam Hayward's coming to the end of his career. Is this a situation of you go out and get a talented, you know, guy with pedigree while you can, and then figure out what to do with him later, with the expectation that maybe Cam Hayward's not going to be here in a period of time, and then you'll have kind of have a natural successor to him on that defensive line? What would you say to, to that argument? Again, I mean, I, I wouldn't hate that. It, dep- it it all comes down to, Adam, most of these discussions come down to cost for me. What is it going to cost to get them? And, you know, if it's going to be a very, very cheap, you know, uh, if, if cost in terms of what you actually have to give up to get them, if you take a flyer on a guy with his pedigree and talent, okay, I can live with that. But for the most part, 
I just don't think that it really makes sense um, in, in, in any way, shape, or form because I even think, say Cam Hayward gives you another two years. Uh, we've already started to see Chase Young get beat up a little bit. Uh, is, he guy, is, he, is he a guy that two years down the road when he's ready to take over, that, is he going to have that kind of uh, that, that burst still and be that kind of player that we think he is? That's a risk to me. So I'd be much, much more interested if, you know, next year they use their, their, their first-round pick on, you know, Cam Hayward's successor. Because then you've got somebody who's young, uh, who can learn the ropes for a year or two, and and really then maybe you get really six, seven really good years out of them. I'm not sure you get that out of Chase Young. How much is too much to give up, Paul? You mentioned sixth or seventh, you probably do it. I think you and I both agree second round probably not. What about third, fourth, fifth, somewhere in there? I wouldn't give up a third. I wouldn't give up a fourth. A fifth, I would start to think about it. I don't know that I would give up. Maybe I'd give up a fifth. It would all depend, I guess. Um, Maybe a fifth rounder at the very most, but I don't know that I would give up a fifth rounder. You know, sixth rounder, definitely. I don't know that I'd give up a fifth rounder, though. Um, How do you feel about the Steelers' defensive line depth overall? I think that has to be part of the conversation, too. You know, I think think there's a lot to like about Cam Hayward, Larry Ogunjobi. He's a proven commodity. And then you add the young guy of Keanu Benson into the mix. They still have the Marvin Leal. Um, I think Montgravius Adams is still in camp. So I think you could make the argument maybe they don't have the depth, but I think in terms of at least that front-line talent, I think they're in a much better place than they've been in recent years, Paul. Yeah, absolutely. They have, you know, they've got some – but again, one of their best players is older. Not old yet, but older, and Cam Hayward. So you do have to start to think about the future. There's no question about it. Uh, You still have to think about what you have down the road uh, behind him. But I kind of like what they all, what they've done. You know, bringing Ogunjobi back to me was the key to the you know the offseason for the defense. I think when he played, and that was a little bit of a question, but when he played, he was very productive. He was the kind of guy that basically you looked at and you said, man, if he could stay healthy for the entire season, you know, with him and Hayward next to each other, they, they've got something that they can really build on. So um, I think they're fine for this year, Adam. I get your point about down the road, the next two, three, four years, whatever. Uh, but I think this year, maybe even next year, they're they're in pretty good uh, position, which is which we, which is why I say they shouldn't just reach for Chase Young because they want to reach, or because he's a big name, or because he's got some pedigree. They shouldn't do that. Yeah, and and Paul, I, I feel like they're generally in the best place they've been in since probably when Stephon two it was was in you know when he was playing well, and then obviously they missed him for the year. He was not there last year. Um, you know, I think they're finally getting back to that place. So, you know, you're doing a good enough job kind of building internally. Do you need to make that move now? I, I think I'm with you overall. I just, for the sake of argument, wanted to kind of make the argument of maybe Chase Young is, is a guy you can bring in um, later on. Uh, any other Steelers minicamp topics you find interesting, Paul? I, I know Najee Harris was talking a little bit about the running backs and how they're undervalued. You and I have talked about that topic a little bit. Um, with Dalvin Cook getting cut, Saquon Barkley holding out. Um, Najee Harris kind of naturally wondering, wondering where things go with him. He's going to be in year three. Uh, he only gets four guaranteed. Then you have the fifth-year option because he was a former first-round pick. Is that something that Najee Harris should be worried about as a second contract? 
Yeah, and, and I actually, to be honest, I think the Steelers would be better uh, served if they just if, if they committed to not giving him a second contract. Um, because I think again, you know, the problem running backs have are twofold. One, we've seen plenty of evidence that you can win without having a high level, you know, big time elite, you know, high pedigree uh, 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 running back. We've seen that. And so there's no reason teams aren't going to, you know, overextend themselves to get a running back and they're not going to, uh, use a bunch of their cap, you know, uh, uh, space on a running back. And the greatest example I think of all is Jalen Warren, who's the guy they picked up basically off the scrap heap for nothing. I mean, he played like whatever the minimum you can pay a guy is in the NFL. That's what he played for last year. And he was really a highly productive player when he when he got opportunities to play. They, you know, now some people lost their mind and tried to say, well, maybe he's better than Najee. I mean, that's silly. But I, you know, he he was a pretty good, pretty productive player. And so to me, when I look at it that way, I often say, if you're a running back, you've got five years basically. And you know what? I'm probably not giving you that second contract because you, you look at how many hits you take as a running back, if you, especially if you add in the carries, the catches, and the blocks that you have to, you know what I mean? Because a lot of times you're picking up blitzes and stuff. You're taking on guys that are 300, you know, 280, 290, 300 pounds coming at you, and you're blocking. Okay, you didn't get tackled technically, but your, your body is getting beat up every single game. So, you know, I, I, I completely – in some ways disagree with people to say you shouldn't take a running back in the first round because I like the fact that you get that fifth year option with a first round pick. So you can control a guy for a fifth year and then the transition, you know, tag or whatever the franchise tag or whatever. Now all of a sudden you basically, if you draft some, a running back in the first round, you can get them for six years and only one year really is at a premium ta- a price. And, and that is going to be, if you want to pay that premium in a franchise tag. Um, and so I feel like, you know what? It, it's the, unfortunately for Najee Harris, he came along about 35 years too late. You know, if he came into the late eighties, early nineties or this, you know, whatever, they were still paying running backs, big money because teams were still built around running backs. But what they figured out is that it's a passing leg. The rules are designed to make it a passing leg. And as a result of that, Guess what? That means the running back is a little bit devalued. So, um, you know, I, I, I feel for them, but I'm pretty sure all these running backs, you know, like Saquon Barkley, I saw the other day, Saquon Barkley um, has the option to play this year for like $11 million. Pretty sure he can still pay his bills. You know, it's not like, you know, if you're still a premium running back, if you're still a really good player, uh, you're still going to get a decent amount of money. You know, Dalvin Cook, same type thing. If he and, and he's looking for a one-year deal, like a prove-it deal, you know, where he plays for one year and then hopefully cashes in on another three- or four-year deal. I think if I was his advisor, I'd say, let's try and get you a three- or four-year deal now because, again, every year that he goes through it, every hit he takes, every carry he takes, his value goes down a little bit. And guess what? At the end of this year, he's going to have another, what, 400 hits on his body, whatever it is. If you're a team next year, you're, are you going to say, okay, well, you know what? We weren't going to give you three or four years last year, but now 400 hits later, we're going to do it. I, I just don't think that's going to happen. 
Well, and you know, the other thing, just to put a button on it, Paul, is, is if you get those first-round picks, you also get the chance to franchise them a couple of times and, and pay them you know, what the market rate is but not make that long-term commitment. And, and so that, that gives you running back for seven years. There are not many guys that get through seven years. You know what I mean? In the NFL, right. it's just to that point you're making, there's just a ton of hits that stack up. And if, if the Steelers attempt to hold on to Najee Harris that long, I think when he's going into year eight, you can, as a Steeler fan, look at him and say, all right, I mean – in all likelihood, statistically, he's not going to be very good. We can move on here. Um, so yeah. I, you know, I think that's that's part of what makes the conversation interesting. The other thing I'll say, Paul, is it is it's going to be interesting to me to watch how the pendulum swings. If we keep seeing these running games get more sophisticated and more emphasized in some of these offenses like San Francisco, like Philadelphia, um, you know, the running game is evolving, and I think our – We've been talking for the last 15 years about how it's becoming a passing league, but now I'm starting to wonder if things are swinging back the other way and if that will have an impact on the running back market. Um, you know, again, I don't. I think that that is the case, but, Adam, you still have the problem of running backs getting hit and getting beat up and their bodies getting beat up. What is it, 2.7, I think, is the – 2.7 years, I think, is the average running back's career. I mean, uh-huh. think about that. Now, obviously, some guys stay in the league seven, eight, nine years, but at the end of the day, you know, a three-year, you know, if you get four years out of a running back, that's a lot. And I think that's going to always be the issue now, not necessarily uh, from the standpoint of, well, you know, teams are going to run the ball a little bit more, this and that, because they still have the same issue, which is teams have figured out you can get by with a little bit, you know, inferior, a little bit of an inferior a uh, 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 running back, as long as it's a guy like a Jalen Warren, you know what I mean, who plays hard, who runs hard, who's good at what he does, stays in his own lane, you can have a running back by committee and still be pretty good. I mean, the Patriots did it for how many years? Uh, they, they made a living off of basically running backs by committee. So I think that's going to be the larger issue for running backs, not necessarily the idea that, well, um, you know, it's a passing league, but it's sort of coming back to being a running league. Paul, I want to touch on college football real quick. Last week, the Big Ten announced their new scheduling format, which is it's not fair in the strictest sense because there are some teams that play the same teams every year. Some teams, in Penn State's case, do not play a single team every year. They are literally unrivaled, as they've been calling them. <laughs> they don't have a rivalry game. They will have Southern California um, in 2024 and 2025. I think that's got a lot of people in Happy Valley excited. But if you look at that 2025 home schedule, there's no USC, there's no Michigan, there's no Michigan State, and there's no Ohio State. It's one of the worst home schedules I've seen Penn State play in a long time. Um, Some people could say that that could be a good thing because by then you're going to have a 12-team playoff and maybe they have an easy road to getting into a 12-team playoff as opposed to a four-team. Or you could say, as a fan, I'm going to have to sit and watch a lot of games I don't really care to watch. Uh, what, what was your reaction to the way the Big Ten did things? Well, my thing my, my thing there is, first of all, what happened to the uh, sanctity of the land-grant trophy? I, I don't understand why that game wasn't, you know, one of the rivalry. I mean, for, for God's sakes, Rutgers-Maryland is a, is, is a quote-unquote rivalry game. Here's one that has got actually got a trophy. Uh, and then you look at Iowa's got three. Uh, rivalry games, which is just, I don't know, it's mind-boggling. But anyway, especially when, when, you know, Iowa's rival is actually not even in the Big Ten. But anyway, when you think about it, okay, it tells me that Ohio State basically said to the conference, 
we should not have to play Penn State and Michigan every single year. That's what it basically says. Because, you know, Iowa State, Ohio State and Penn State should play every year, period. They should. Uh, within the confines of the Big Ten, that would be the most natural. You know, and obviously Ohio State's got Michigan, but basically Ohio State, basically I guarantee you they said to the Big Ten, we don't want to have to play Michigan and Penn State. It's not fair, you know, uh, that we have to play them both every single year when they only have to play one of us. You know, now Michigan, I think, also has a rivalry with Michigan State, but, I mean, come on. At the end of the day, it's not Ohio State. I I guarantee you that's really how this all came down, but it's got to be a little bit uh, uh, feelings hurting (laughs) for uh, Penn State fans who for the last 15 years have insisted their arrival of Ohio State or, you know, Michigan State or Michigan, and now, you know, without, you know, I, as I said back then, and I say it again, none of those schools view Penn State as a rival. Uh, but the Big Ten, to me, is not doing itself any favor if Penn State doesn't play at least Ohio State or Michigan every single year. Uh, those games should actually, and, and really they should play, all three of those teams should play each other, period, uh, for the good of the conference. Um, and, and the fact that they're not tells you everything you need to know about, A, that I think Ohio State way, uh carries a big stick in that leg, but also uh, that television does dictate to a point, because if I was a television exec that paid a bunch of money to the Big Ten, I'd be like, listen, I want to be guaranteed Penn State, Ohio State every year. I want to be guaranteed Michigan, Ohio State every year, and I want to be guaranteed Penn State, Michigan every year. Those three games, you know, we'll work with whatever else you have, but those three games have to take place every single year. Are you surprised that they didn't say, okay, we'll listen to Ohio State on this, but, you know, we want Penn State playing USC every year at least? Um, try to create some cross-country, you know, I don't know, recreate a, a kind of what, what USC and Notre Dame have always had. Of They've been big rivals even though they, they're not, you know, regional. Um, I, so like that. Are you surprised they didn't just say, okay, we'll do it this way for Ohio State and Michigan, but we're going to make sure Penn State and USC at least play every year? I, I said this the other day. I said – if the game's in, say, like November, right, what's the attendance at UCLA versus Rutgers at Rutgers? You know, by that point, Rutgers is, you know, three and whatever, and their fan base is not engaged, and UCLA brings zero. Um, yeah, I would think Penn State USC would be the, the next natural thing, but I guarantee USC plays UCLA, and that's their rival, and we shouldn't have to play UCLA and Penn State every year. I guarantee you that's part of the equation. But USC Penn State would make sense. Not as much sense as Penn State, Ohio State. And quite frankly, if you were looking to make one regional game, you know, like like Pitt plays uh, Syracuse, right? Pitt, Syracuse. Why is Penn State's not Rutgers or Maryland? I, I don't get, I don't understand why that isn't a part of the equation. Um, now, from those two teams' perspectives, I guarantee you they basically said, well, we shouldn't have to play Penn State and, you know what I mean? But the, at the end of the day, you know what? Rutgers... And Maryland have no leverage. To me, if, every team should have one game that's your quote-unquote rivalry where every year you know you're getting a home-and-home. Home. You know, you're either going to be at their place or you're going to be at your place. So you can sort of develop a little bit of a rivalry or develop a little bit of a, you know, a healthy hatred or whatever. I, I, I know that, you know, Pitt-Virginia Tech has been very good for Pitt and Virginia Tech because it gives them all – gives them both a game, Right where this is a game where it's kind of a rivalry because we've played each other so much, we're familiar with each other, all that other stuff. And, and so it doesn't make sense that Penn State has nobody. 
If I had to, if I if I had to rank them, I would say Ohio State, USC, Michigan, and then if it's not going to be one of those three, I mean, I, I can make a case for Iowa, but Iowa's already got ninety-seven of these games, so right. you can't give them. So the next one should be Rutgers. Or I, I mean, Paul, I, I would throw Michigan State in there just because I think. Oh yeah, know, Michigan State. It, I forgot about that. It's yeah. never been a rival on the on the scale of certainly like a Pitt or or some of those other old Eastern rivals. But I think there's been some like you know college football sicko committee appreciation for the Land Grant Trophy. They're putting that game in prime time this year in Detroit um, on Black Friday, so they're giving that game a little bit more prominence. I would agree with you. I was surprised that at least was not part of the deal um, of okay, we're gonna we're gonna give this as a protected game every year because Penn State's been playing that game on rivalry and almost interrupted for their entire tenure in the conference. Yeah. No, absolutely. And it's a game that's got a trophy. That's the other part of it. Not that a trophy matters, but, I mean, obviously it's been a game that's been played every single year and there's a trophy for it. I'm not sure why they wouldn't respect that, especially since Michigan State really only has to play Michigan. So, it's you know, I I just don't get it. Um, I don't get it. And and I think that, you know, if they're not careful, there could be a a situation where – Penn State's home schedule is terrible. Well, that's that was kind of what I was going to ask you next, Paul, which is, is there an opening for, for maybe some of these old rivalries coming back here? If, if Penn State – listen, their 2025 schedule, I I can pull it up, but I'm pretty sure it's like Illinois, Nebraska, Maryland, um, and someone else in that 2025 home schedule in the Big Ten. They do not have any um, out-of-conference games like, like, like Nebraska, Nevada and Villanova something like that, some lower division teams. Um, it's not a window for a pit. Okay, listen, you know, a lot of these SEC teams, let's just be honest with ourselves, they're not going to come here. You can't schedule like USC anymore because they're in the conference. But there's not a whole lot of out-of-conference teams that you're going to – either A, want to come here, and B, that you're going to get a lot of juice out of. Um, is that an opening for them to say, okay, we're going to try to prop up the home schedule with a pit? Because how many years have we heard Penn State doesn't need Pitt? Well, I look at who's most available for them now in 2025. What's the one thing you can do to add juice to that schedule? I think it's Pitt. And yeah. I, think, I think the season t- – it's so it's getting so expensive up there, Paul. I think season ticket holders are going to say, some of them, we're back out this year. We're not going to pay all this money, and we're not going to drive six hours up and back to watch Penn State, Illinois. Right. No, you're absolutely right. Maybe, but I don't see that. I think here's what's going to happen. It'll be like a game in D.C. against somebody or a game in Indianapolis against somebody or a game in, you know, Houston against somebody. That's what they're going to do. You know that. Uh, A neutral site game, which would mean the home schedule remains terrible. Yeah. Yeah, and I I think that's going to be a problem for Penn State when you're relying so heavily on – because it's not – you know, Beaver Stadium does not fill up with people who live in – Central Pennsylvania, Paul. It fills up with people who drive in from Philly, who drive in from the big cities on the East Coast, who drive in from Pittsburgh. So um, I think that's going to be interesting to, to see. No question. And, and like you said, they pay so much money. You know, if, if there's not a Michigan or Ohio State on that schedule uh, and there's not going to be a pit, it's going to be really, 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 really hard sell. Uh, and now, of course, Penn State fans are loyal. They'll buy it. They'll pay for it. But they will, they'll bitch about it. They won't be happy about it. And they shouldn't be. Um, you know, again, it's just sort of the way college football is going in some ways. Any final thoughts, Paul? Jason Spezza hired as the Penguins assistant GM. Any quick thoughts on that before we wrap up? 
No, I mean, again, I, I think that they got Cal Dubas. That's the guy they wanted. It's amazing. It's interesting. They've hired an assistant general manager, but they don't have a general manager technically. Uh, but that sort of tells you what Cal Dubas's uh, duties are really going to be. I mean, I, I would assume he's going to be the GM or whatever, and uh, he's going to take care of those things. But again, the only move that matters this summer with the Penguins is what they do with the goalie. Everything else, I don't care. Tell me what you're going to do with the goalie, and then we'll worry about who's in your front office and who's this and who's that and who's your new uh, 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 power play coach. I don't care about any of that. Who is the goalie? All right, Paul. Well, I, I agree with you there, and uh, we're just gonna we're gonna sign off now. Thanks everyone for joining us. Please stay tuned on Friday. The North Shore Drive with Christopher Carter will be back. Um, pretty sure he'll have Brian Backo on in the seat. Maybe we'll get some Jason Pirates talk. So make sure you're subscribed to the YouTube channel. Pop a like help on this video. Help us out with the YouTube algorithm. Um, and check us out on uh, Stitcher and Pandora. I think we just added the podcast options. We're going to add these shows to all of that. So if you're more of an audio fan and you came across us on YouTube, make sure you're signed up for our podcast as well. Um, otherwise, we'll talk to you next week, Paul. All right. We'll see you, Adam. Thank you for checking out this content from Post-Gazette Sports. If you liked the video, please like it and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you enjoyed it on Apple Podcasts, please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. For six months of digital access to post-gazette.com for just $6, click the link down in the description.